This comes from Acts chapter 10 and also Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, uh, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be, the ju to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing those people, these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? We have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostle and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Acts 11, 17 through 9. 17 through 19. If then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave us to when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. They catch us up to speed on what we're addressing in the book of Acts. Is this idea that the Gospel goes both deep and it goes wide. It saturates the earth. Not only does it go to Jerusalem, Judea, to all Samaria and the ends of the earth, but it also goes deep into the hidden crevices of the heart. And I think we see the Gospel go not only wide this week, but we see it go deep. Because in what we're looking at this week, there's some, there's some hang-ups with, with the Jewish people inviting the, the Gentile folk into the kingdom. And, and there's a second Pentecost that happens where the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And, and we see what God promises in Acts 1.8 come true. We see what God promises in Genesis when He says He's going to be the Father of many nations. We see that come true in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go skiing. Snow skiing. Some of you like the snow ski in the room because we've talked about this before. Uh, you see, I'd only been East Coast, really East Coast snow skiing up until about three years ago. Now, then I got the invitation to go to Colorado. I thought, I got this. No big deal. 
I got Rocky Mountains. You know, I've been to Paoli Peaks, Indiana. I'm good to go. Uh, and so I get off the plane. My friend Pat picks me up. Uh, we go skiing. Man, I can barely, we ski for two days and I can barely walk after that. I mean, I've been doing Black Diamonds in Indiana. I get to, I get to, um, to Colorado and I'm like doing the green slopes and it's like killing me, right? And so I, I, I get uh, back on the airplane to come home and I am, I'm ecstatic because of the fact that the flight attendant gets on you know, the, the, little, uh, the little radio and says, excuse me. And she, she gets on and she starts talking uh, to us and she says, I've got really good news for you guys. We have so few people on the plane today that you all get your own row of seats. I mean, that's like, that's like really good news, right? Especially to a guy that's been beat up by the Rocky Mountains the weekend before. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, until uh, this family comes up. This family comes up and they are like all sitting in the same row and there's four of them. And you see where I'm going with this. There's four of them um, and there's three seats and the dad comes up to me and he says, hey, hey, bro, you mind if I sit beside you? And at that moment, I've got a decision to make. Either, either I can say, uh, sure, you can sit with me and I can get up and leave or sure, you can sit with me and I can stay there or I could just leave altogether. You know, I, I could do kind of whatever in that situation and and I just felt like, uh, man, this would be really rude if he finds out I'm a pastor and I don't want to sit beside anybody. This would be really bad, right? And so, uh, so I sit down and he sits down and, you know, I'm kind of sitting by the window and for some reason he like sits in the middle. I mean, it's this strange, it's this strange, uh, strange thing. And so uh, I started, I started talking to JR. JR's from Portland uh, and they're on the way to see family for the holidays. It's the middle of December, uh, nearing Christmas time. And, and we start talking and and he tells me uh, as we're as we're talking that he's like he's like a he's a talker, you know what I mean? Like he's he's really a talker, which is cool. Uh, it just wasn't cool that day for me, but anyway. So he tells me he's dreading going to his in-laws' house, and so you know, instead of putting my headphones in like we try to do a lot of times, I I say, "What do you mean, Jr? Why are you dreading going to your in-laws' house?" He says, ah, "They're just so religious, and they always push their religion on me." I said, "Oh, okay." This is interesting. At this point, I'm not like, I, I, I don't think I ever told him I was a pastor. So uh, we're talking and I said, okay, you know, uh, tell me, what, what, how are they pushing religion on you? He said, well, you know, they're always bringing up my past because, you know, I spent six years in prison and uh, they're always just trying to change me. And uh, I said, uh, you know, JR, and the Holy Spirit's like, he's like guiding this. He's like kind of forcing me into this, which is good because sometimes we need a good nudge from the Holy Spirit. I said, JR, that's not what the Bible says, brother. That's not, what, that's not what Christianity is about. That's not the Gospel that Jesus preaches. I said, God meets us where we're at, man. And this guy just started to melt in front of me. I'm not even... Like, it's like no effort applied whatsoever. I'm just like speaking kind of reluctantly about the goodness of God's grace. And this man is melting before me. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't have him, you know, pray the prayer because, you know, that's, I don't even know if that's in the Bible anyway. Um, but we did have this great conversation about Jesus and... I don't know where JR is at today. I prayed for him for quite some time, just praying that the scales would kind of fall off and, and that this, um, this apparatus of religion that had been placed on top of his life to get to Jesus would be removed. Because this is what JR's hang up was with the gospel is that there had been this religious kind of construct on top of Jesus. JR was desperate. For Jesus, he knew that he was a broken man that needed God, and this is exactly what we're going to spend our time talking about today. 
Because just like JR's family, every single one of us have a drift from the Gospel back to religion. We have a drift from the free grace of God to you need to work for it. And this, I think, is what is happening in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. So let me define what religion is and what the Gospel is as we get into this. Tim Keller has a great, great quote about this. He says this, Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. So it all depends on my obedience for my acceptance before God. But the Gospel says this, Jesus says something different. He says, I'm accepted in Christ, therefore I obey. So my obedience flows from Christ's obedience for me. There's nothing that I can do to clean myself up enough to make myself presentable for a pure and holy God. And the real Gospel, you know what it does? It, it melts sinners and it mutes the religious. Just like we see in Acts 10 and 11. And a lot of times, the more that I grow in Jesus, the more that I see myself drifting toward religion. Drifting toward producing outcomes. And you know why? It's because I can control religion. I can gauge religion. I can manage religion. I can understand religion. If you behave this way, you get this. But the problem is this. That's not the Gospel. But grace is like wildfire. It can't be managed. And it always leaves my self-righteousness feeling lonely. Whenever you meet the real Jesus and hear the real Gospel and experience the real grace of God, you see that He loves us just as we are. This is the beauty of the Gospel. So here's my prayer for us today. I always try to tell you where I'm going. I show you my cards before we kind of lay them out here. My prayer for us today is, is this. That the Holy Spirit would convince us that we're not as good as we think we are. Amen? And that Jesus is far better than we think He is. That the brokenhearted would be deeply encouraged and the proud would be deeply humbled. That's where I hope that we're going today through God's Word. So here's the big idea of where we're headed today. For anyone to be saved, he must actually need saving. So let's dig into Acts chapter uh, 10 together. I'm going to first kind of touch on Galatians chapter 1 to kind of give us an, an, an overlay of kind of where we're headed here. Um, so I want to I kind of compare and contrast the false gospel of religion and the true gospel of grace. So the false, false gospel of religion is this. And let me define a false gospel. A false gospel is anything that claims to satisfy apart from Jesus. Anything to, that, that claims to satisfy apart from Jesus. So this is many different things for us during the course of the day, right? It's why we get so frustrated when things don't go our way. Um, it could be, you know, for my kids, it might be this Lego set that the package man uh, has failed to deliver on time and his world has turned upside down. Well, our Legos just turn into different things as we get older, don't they? It's anything that claims to satisfy apart from Jesus. Now, good, lucky for us, um, this is not just our problem. This has been the problem of God's people throughout the history of the world. So I want to read Galatians 1, 6 and 7 for you real quick. Paul says this to the church in Galatia, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in grace, in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel. He's astonished. He can't believe that this is actually happening. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of grace. So what's he saying here? The Galatians were called by God's grace. They had nothing to offer 
Jesus gave them everything. This is how they came into the family of God. But, but now they're kind of pulling this bait and switch on other people. They're saying you've got to be circumcised. You've got to become like a Jew to receive the Gospel of Christ. You've got to perform. You've got to do these things to receive God's grace. And I've done this more times than I could ever care to acknowledge. One, one time I remember, I remember having to go to my dad and apologize to him and to repent to him because I had kind of replaced this religious construct on him becoming a Christian. I said, hey man, you've got to clean up these areas of your life if you want to follow Jesus. And I just remember God stopping me in my tracks and, and uh, really humbling me in that season. Spurgeon says it like this, the greatest enemy of human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. Now here's what we do. Here's, here's humanity. We have this drift toward ourselves and we think that we have all of the answers. It's like as Christians, we think that we can wean ourselves off of God's grace. And that if we, if we could just do enough good things that maybe we won't need Jesus quite as much. But the Christian life is quite the opposite. What you realize as you follow Jesus is that you need Him more and more every single day. Every single day we need Him more. So that's what the false Gospel is. It's anything that claims to satisfy apart from Jesus. And, 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 and people uh, since the inception of the world have been trying to satisfy with things other than God. So that's, that's kind of that's the baseline of where we find ourselves today. So now let's, look at the, let's turn to Acts 10 and look at the true Gospel that Peter preaches. Now, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at Acts chapter 10, we see that, that Peter uh, is directed by the Holy Spirit uh, in, in kind of conjunction with this guy named Cornelius to go to Caesarea and to preach the Gospel to the Jews, or sorry, to the Gentiles so that they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And so like, Peter ends up getting to Caesarea. And last week we left off, two weeks ago we left off where Peter was in the living room with Cornelius. And Cornelius is so eager to see uh, the Gospel come uh, to Caesarea that he's gathered everyone that he can possibly fit into his living room. Because he knows that what he's about to hear is going to be so, so good. And so this is kind of where we, we pick up. So what's the true Gospel? The true Gospel is that Jesus, plus nothing else, gives us everything. That Jesus plus nothing else gives us everything. Now, we're going to read Peter's sermon here. We're going to look through that. It's only a few verses. And it gets, it's funny thing is, is it gets interrupted by the Holy Spirit. God's like, hey Peter, I want you to stop. I'm about to save some people and pour out the Spirit on them. Is that okay with you, man? And, you know, I pray that we'd always be open to that here, obviously. But what, one of the things that I noticed that I want to tell you about as we dig into this is that the Gospel is very Trinitarian. That the gospel that Peter preaches, it's not just it's 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 God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that Peter speaks about. And it takes all of God to make us whole again, church. It takes every bit of him to make us whole again. It takes the Father sending his Son in love to redeem us. It takes the Son humbling himself to the point of death on a cross to satisfy the wrath of God that was against us. And then raising from the dead, the, the thing that, that uh, held us in chains so long. And it takes the Spirit of God applying the work of God's grace to our lives. This is why the, 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 one of the greatest promises in the Bible is Matthew 28.20, 20, where Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, how is Jesus with us always to the end of the age? Well, He sent His Spirit to accompany us as a guarantee that we are Jesus. 
we are Jesus's, that we belong to him. So what, let's look at the kind of the contents of this sermon that Peter preaches here. So it's Jesus-centered. What does that mean? Well, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the, are, the, are the message that's preached here. Acts 10, 39 and 40, and we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. So, so the power that lies in seeing people come to faith to be made whole again, to be redeemed, is in the fact that they are witnesses of Jesus. Not that they can produce anything or make anything happen, but they are witnesses of Jesus. He goes on to say they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. It's important that we remember that Jesus had to be put to death for your sin. That we put him on that tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. It's important for us to see that it's Jesus's it's Jesus' life, His mission, His resurrection, where He enters into the briar patch of humanity. He goes into the... I mean, have you ever stopped to look at the people that Jesus hangs out with in the Gospels? It's ridiculous. It's crazy the people that Jesus chooses to spend time with. The, the, the places where Jesus enters into the briar patch are amazing. And without embracing this radical Messiah and His mission, no one's ever safe. So he starts with the fact that, man, this whole thing's about Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, there's no hope for any of us. The second thing is this, is that it's very God-focused. A lot of times we can distort the Gospel into thinking that the Gospel is primarily a message about us. You know what I mean? It's like, Jesus died for me to set me free. Well, yes, He did die for us. But He died to the glory of the Father because it was the Father's love that sent the Son. We need to recover what it looks like to be a God-centered people. Just listen to some of these verses. In 10.34, we see that the active agent is God. That God shows no partiality. Now, why would this be important to share with a bunch of Gentiles? Because they felt like the JV team their whole life. They felt like God didn't care for them. That God didn't love them. And the, Peter's saying, hey man, this isn't true. God shows no partiality. There's, there's nothing that makes us any better because we were born Jews than you. God shows no par par uh, partiality. So he's, he's, he's leveling the playing field to begin as he preaches. Hey, I just want you to know that we're all the same. So that means these Jewish brothers that he brought with him to Cornelius' house, and that means the house full of Gentiles in Caesarea as well. Hey guys, we're all the same. And for some reason, we, we have this drift back toward toward thinking that, that, that we're, we're better than people that sin differently than us. The message is still the same today. God shows no partiality. Then it goes on to say that God anointed Jesus. And, uh, you know, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with Him. So God anoints Jesus. He gives Him the power to live this redeemed life because He was made like us in every single way according to the book of Hebrews. So He was fully God and fully man. But God, guys, he, feels, he felt the same thing. He feels the same things that we feel. And this is how He's able to be a faithful high priest to us. Because He's experienced all the loss that we have experienced as well. And then He reminds us that God was with Him. And that's the truth for anyone who's embodied by the Holy Spirit. That God is with us. And there's great hope in that because if God is in us, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us, nothing can kill us. Nothing can kill us eternally. I mean, you guys know a little bit of our journey. 
this, this disease that we're dealing with with my wife. You guys, you guys have heard some of this. Nothing can take us down. Nothing can take us down because God is with us and His resurrection power lives inside of us. That, that means if you, you found out you're going to lose your job next week, that means if, if, if someone that you love you know, goes on to be with the Lord, there's no such thing as death eternally when we're in Christ because His resurrection power lives inside of us. This is the message that Peter preaches. He goes on to say that God raised Jesus from the dead in Acts 10.40. Acts 10.41, God chose us as witnesses. Our role, church, is to be witnesses of the resurrection power of Jesus. That is the most important thing that we can do. It's to witness and testify to the fact that Jesus is good, that He's real, and that He's raised from the dead. And because of that, we have hope. The Gospel is primarily about God. It's not about us. We're the beneficiaries of it, but it's about God. Jonathan Edwards says it like this. And Edwards always kind of pulls us out of our independency, doesn't he? He says, he says our chief happiness consist in knowing God's holiness. And as I think about that, I'm like, Edwards, what do you mean by that? Like, my chief happiness would be in knowing that really that, that I'm made holy because I trust in Jesus. What do you, what do you mean that my chief happiness should, should lie in the fact that God is holy? Well, there are these couple passages in the Bible, Leviticus 20.26 20, and, and 1 Peter 1.16 where, where the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. So when I, when I read that quote and I, and I think about those Scriptures, I'm thinking, and these seem to contradict each other. What does Edwards mean by this? Edwards means that the only way that you and I can ever be holy by trusting the only one that's ever been holy. Who's Jesus. And who sent Jesus? God sent Jesus. So because God is holy, we get Jesus. And that's how we're made holy. And so many times we find ourselves trying to compete for God's holiness. Trying to make ourselves acceptable in front of Him. And really, the best thing that we can offer is needy dependence upon Jesus. That's how we're made holy. Isaiah 57.15 says this, For thus says the One who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. That's His name. I dwell in the high and holy place. Okay, we get that. We, you, you dwell in the high and holy place. You're, you're completely different than us, God. We'll read the second part of this verse too. And also with Him who is, who is of a contrite and lowly Spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, according to Isaiah 57, there's no hope for those who try to produce holiness in and of themselves. The only hope there is is in the holiness of God, but then also the fact that, 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 that when we see the holiness of God, it humbles us. It sends us to our knees because we have nothing to offer except our sin and our humility before a holy and loving God. Peter thinks it's so important that they realize this. It's not the fact that you're a Gentile that, you know, that makes you a, a sinner and unpresentable. It's your sin that makes you a sinner and unpresentable. And the Jewish people or the Gentile people have to deal with that. The next thing that we see is this, is that the Gospel that he preaches is audience conscious. As I said, I alluded to this earlier, but Jesus always meets us where we're at, not where we should be. 
me say that again. Jesus always meets us where we're at, not where we should be. Think about the woman at the well. It's in John chapter 4. It's this passage of Scripture where Jesus and His posse, His disciples, are they've made this decision, okay, to, 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 instead of going around Samaria like they normally would, to go straight through it. Because Samaritans were, you know, like the worst of the worst Gentiles. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go, we're going to truck right through Samaria this time, boys. And so, they come up upon this well because they're thirsty, they're hungry, they want something to eat, they want something to drink. And Jesus sends His disciples out to get something to eat. And He's sitting at the well. And in the middle of the day, the Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Now, why would it be interesting that she would draw water in the middle of the day? Well, the middle of the day was the worst time to draw water because it was the hottest part of the day, which meant the water would be hotter than other parts of the day. She went in the middle of the day because she didn't want to be seen by other people. Because she was somewhat of a harlot. She, uh, she, Jesus says, hey, look, you've, you've been kind of sleeping around the block and everybody kind of knows it. You know, you've, you, you've kind of been with these five guys and the one you're with now isn't your husband. And, and she says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you've nailed me. <laughs> you've nailed me. Well, Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to go clean that up and then you can come to me. But instead He tells her that she can drink living water if she would trust in Him. Jesus meets us where we're at. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what it is in your life that you want to suppress and that you want to hide from Jesus, but it's the place where Jesus meets us. So if you're pretending that you're at a place that you're not really at, how can Jesus meet you in a place where you're not at? So what's this mean for us, church? Be where you're at. Let Jesus meet you where you're at, not where you should be. Because if we, we pretend and act like we're at a place where we're not at, we don't see Jesus. All we see is ourselves. Be where you're at. Next, uh, we see that this, this, script, this uh, sermon that he's preaching is Holy Spirit infused. So, part of what's happening here is they're connecting the ministry of John the Baptist with the ministry of Jesus. And, and the fact that the, the baptism of John the Baptist was, was different because it was a baptism unto repentance. But the baptism of Jesus was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And remember what the Holy Spirit is. It's God's power, God's person with us as we go. And so that's what's happening here. So this whole thing is Holy Spirit infused. God's presence is with Jesus. God's presence, as, as this sermon is interrupted, when the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles, is with the Gentiles the same way that God is with Jesus through the Spirit. The same way that He's through the Jews when Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2. The same way He's with us. So I don't care what your background is, when we receive Jesus and we trust Him alone for salvation, we receive this Spirit, this guarantee, this promise that God is with us and nothing can take that away. Nothing. Lastly, we see that this sermon is response-provoking. So, as I said earlier, Peter's sermon is gladly interrupted by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus is like, hey, hey, Peter, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to cut this thing short and I'm just going to drop the Holy Spirit down on these guys. Is that cool with you? And so that, that happens and, and Peter stops and we read this in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, 43 through 48. He says, he says this. Um, let's go back up to the next one, the one before this. Um, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell 
on all who heard the Word. Let's keep going. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. They're like, oh man, what's happening here? This is crazy. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Let's keep going. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Why is that significant that he asked that question? Because remember what baptism is. We looked at this earlier in the service today. It's the sign and seal of God's covenant promise. So Peter's saying, hey, why should we make them jump through any other hoops? Let's give them the sign and seal of the promise just like we've received it. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Him to remain for some days. They wanted to know about Jesus. They wanted to learn about Jesus. So the Gospel, when it is, when it is preached, when it is spoken in your life, when you are when you are participating as a witness of Jesus and you're testifying to those that you share life with, it provokes a response because it is so scandalous and outrageous that God would love us and require nothing of us but a knowledge of our sin and a dependence in Jesus. That's a scandalous thing to think about. And of course it's scandalous. Let's look at Acts 11, 1-3. The, the religious critics arise. I mean, these are the Jewish brothers. And they say, uh, now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the Word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, they criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? This is ridiculous because Peter, Peter is stepping out of what has been the norm for his life, secluding an, an entire population of God's people. That, that, was, the, that was the tradition to eat with uncircumcised men. And what does eating with someone do? I think eating is a very spiritual thing. If you wanted to do an interesting Bible study, look at all the people Jesus ate with and the encounters that He had with them. Because when we sit at a table with one another, we look across that table from one another and we realize that we have a common need. And that common need is to be nourished, to be sustained. And in that nourishment and sustainment that we get from whatever's on that table, that's the only thing that matters in that moment. It brings us together. So this, this meal that He's having with them, or these meals that He's having with them are, are really saying uh, an important message. And then let's look, at the res- let's look at the response when they realize what's happened here as He preaches the Gospel in Acts 11-17. Uh, says this, If then God gave the same Spirit to them who gave to us when we believe the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? How can I get in God's way? When they heard these things, this is I think one I think this is probably the most important phrase in this passage we're looking at. When they heard these things, they fell silent. So the religious guys that had all this stuff to offer and to show to God, oh look at me, look look how holy I am, look at how much I have done for God. They fell silent because they realized that it didn't matter if it didn't come from Jesus. If it wasn't produced by the Holy Spirit living in them. Our righteous deeds are filthy rags, as Isaiah says. But the good work that God produces from God's Spirit inside of us, that's fruit that lasts. That's fruit that that keeps bearing. Because you know what? It depends on the One who keeps living and never dies. That's fruit that lasts. The Gospel mutes religion. I'm going to close with the portrait of the Gospel versus religion. This is the most, I think this is the most outrageous parable that Jesus 
that Jesus ever spoke. Okay, It is the parable of the publican or the, the, the tax collector and the Pharisee. And uh, here it is. It's from Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at this quickly. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That's key right there. That they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That means they kind of looked down their nose at them. Two men went up into the, into the temple to pray. So they go up to God to pray. Uh, to the temple, to the gathering of, of God's people. And one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The, the Pharisee stands over by himself. And he prays like this. And, and I want you to push aside, before I read this, I want you to push aside your preconceived notions of what a Pharisee is. This, if there was ever a good man to walk the face of the earth that wasn't Jesus, it was this guy. This guy was faithful to his wife. He was like the perfect dad to his kids. You know, he, he was faithful with his money. He was generous. This Pharisee was a good dude. So let's not, let's not paint him in that light like, oh, look at this. Look at this guy. No, this, this, this is a good dude. And, and as we get into this, look, he's even thanking God for the way that God's made him. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector that's in here. God, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. He goes on. But the tax collector is standing far off. He's over in the corner. Can't even lift up his eyes to heaven. But beat his breast saying, God, you've got to be merciful to me. I'm such a sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So this tax collector, he had a very scandalous life. Um, probably drove, he probably pulled up to the temple in a stretch limo. You know, who, tell, who, who knows what was going on in that limo? Who knows where he'd come from? His life, his life just reeked of greed. And he took advantage of the Jewish people uh, in his community that the, that the Romans... They probably didn't know how to get access to him. And he went and he, he scraped money off the top. He, he made them suffer because he could. I mean, this man is a filthy man. And, and this parable doesn't say, hey, hey, this guy got his act together and he was really doing well. And, and he, he decided to show up at the temple one day. And, and he showed up at the temple and, and he acknowledged the fact that he had sin in his life. And then God, God said he was the one that was justified. It doesn't say that. For all we know, all of this was still happening. And for all we know, this may have happened for a little bit after this too. It may have, he may have not changed overnight, just like you and I don't change overnight. I know this is a parable. Jesus is painting a picture. I'm just trying to draw it out here for us. But it, this is an issue of justification. When, whenever we look to ourselves for salvation, it's an issue of justification. We're saying that we don't think that we need what God says that we need. And he says that this ridiculously sinful, filthy man is, goes to his home justified rather than the guy that's really a good dude. I want to I I paint a picture for you of what this might look like today. And uh, this guy, this Episcopal priest named Robert Capone wrote this book about 
Jesus' parables and kind of some modern uh, uh, kind of translations of what these might mean. She says, imagine it like this. Let's, let's look from God's perspective for a second at what's happening here. Let's, let's imagine that this is like a card game. It's a card game they're playing for the justification before God. Uh, it's, a, it's a game of cards with God. So the Pharisee walks confidently over to God in the temple. He, he walks into Him. He whips out a deck of cards. And, you know, he, he fan, he's got all the card tricks, right? I mean, he's fanning them. You know, the, the accordion shuffle. You know, the, whenever I try to do it, the cards go everywhere. Some of you are like that too in the room. Uh, and, and he says, he, he, he tosses the cards against the table to God and he says, hey God, cut them. Let's play. Let's play for this justification here. He says, I'm in the middle of a streak and God pushes the deck away from him with a sad smile and he says, maybe you're not on so hot of a streak as you think you are. So the Pharisee picks up the deck again and he begins to start the game himself and he deals God into the deck with him. He says, hey, Texas Hold'em, no rebuy-ins here, okay? We're, we're playing, we're playing uh, all or nothing right here. So he deals God a two of fasting and a king of no adultery. God, look. God says, God, to, God says to him, God, look, this is not a good idea. Why don't you call it quits now and go enjoy a meal on the house? Just call it quits. Toss in your cards now. Quit trying to play this game of justification with me. You're not going to win. And he says, hey, plus, look, you're not even playing with a full deck. He says, instead, why, well, look at this guy over here. He's, he's talking about the tax collector. He lost his cards before he got in here and is enjoying a meal on the house. He knows that he can't hold a candle in this game of justification. Church, and here's where I want to close. What would it look like for us to toss our cards in before we even start trying to play the game of proving ourselves to God? What would it look like for us to humble ourselves as Jesus says in this parable uh, so that we can give God more glory and trust more in His righteousness than our own because here's the reality we are all prone to drift toward ourselves and we are an unreliable source what's it look like for us to believe that gospel that peter preaches what would it look like for what would it look like for our neighbors if we actually presented the gospel that jesus presents that he meets us exactly where we are that he hears us that He enters into the briar patch of our lives. We're all prone to drift towards self-dependence. And there's no winning that game with God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for, um, for those of us, maybe in this room today, including myself, who realize, God, that I... And when I'm praying, maybe sometimes I look at other people and try to justify how good I am as I look at others. Father, as I try to compare myself to others, as I, I try to, to play that card game of justification with You. And Father, there's no winning. So Lord, I pray that You would humble us to the point of total dependence this morning. We would see our absolute and utter need of Your grace consuming our lives. And I pray for those in this room today that needed to hear the fact that God meets us where we're at, not where we should be. That was the hope of the Gentiles in Cornelius' living room. Because they had nothing else to offer. That was the hope of the tax collector because there was nothing else that he could do. Father, meet us this morning. Encourage our hearts with Your grace. 
And let the Gospel of grace spread like wildfire in our city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.